Veterans and their families often don't self-identify, so you need to ask. It's very simple. Just ask if it's a child. Ask, has your mum and dad ever served in the military? If it's a person over about 20 years, ask them, have they ever served in the military? And if the answer is yes, then I think you've flagged potential issue to refer them to us. This is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. In today's episode, Kerry from our Community Legal Education Branch will be talking to Danutzia and Nicholas from the Legal Aid New South Wales Government Law Team. Danutzia is a lawyer and Nick is a non-lawyer advocate. They both work with the Veterans Advocacy Service and will be talking about how this service can help defence veterans living in New South Wales. This episode highlights the importance of community workers asking the question, of have you done any military service? Before we begin this episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land we are recording on today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and also extend that respect to any Indigenous people who may be listening. A veteran in his early 30s was referred to the Veterans Advocacy Service from a drug rehabilitation centre. His life had become a real mess after discharging from the army with unacknowledged psychological injuries. He was homeless, had serious alcohol and drug abuse issues and had been unsuccessful in his dealings with Department of Veterans Affairs. He was accruing a large debt at the drug rehab centre and didn't know where to turn. We were able to get his rehab bills paid through the DVA's non-liability healthcare scheme where all mental health conditions are covered by DVA regardless of whether the condition is accepted as defence caused or not. We've also been able to get his injury accepted as defence caused and he's received a small interim amount of compensation and is now receiving regular payments to make up for his loss of income due to his inability to work. DVA has connected him with a general rehab service and we continue to liaise with his healthcare workers. When his conditions are deemed to be stable and permanent, we'll be able to have his ongoing impairment assessed for a final offer of compensation for his pain and suffering. While this client focuses on his recovery, we're dealing with the department on his behalf, negotiating the support services he needs in association with his psychiatrist and community mental health team. Hi, and welcome Danu and Nick. Before we start, do you want to explain to us a bit about your different roles with the Veterans Advocacy Service? Oh, hi, Carrie. So I am, as you said, as a solicitor and legal aid. I do specialise in veterans law. A lot of my work is around providing advice, reviewing decisions by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Veterans Review Board, and also the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. I help clients to prepare and lodge primary claims to div- uh, with DVA. I also appeal unfavourable decisions. My role is basically I assess the cases as to the merits. I help clients to get evidence. I participate in alternative dispute resolution through the VRB. And I'm basically the first point of contact when I take matters on with DVA, um, the Veterans Review Board or the 
or the AAT. So I can also represent clients at the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, as I have mentioned, and higher courts, being federal court and high court. And what about you, Nick? Hi, Kerry. Um, it's very similar to Danu's. We all do casework, but I'm not a lawyer. I trained as a social worker. And apart from the advice and assistance, the Veterans Review Board does not allow lawyers to actually represent veterans at hearing. So I'm able to take all the cases that the other advocates do and speak their submissions at the review board. So the Veterans Advocacy Service can provide representation at all levels of appeal and um, not being a lawyer is an advantage in this case because it means we can actually appear at the Veterans Review Board. Great. Thank you. So at the beginning of the podcast, I read out a story which Danu and Nick um, provided and it, that story represents the types of clients that you assist. So now I thought we might just chat about what you find most rewarding about the work that you do. Right. So I do help people quite often in, in the most vulnerable time which um, I think is a privilege to help them and be able to give them a voice and a chance to have access to justice. Obviously, here I'm talking about, you know, current and former military personnel and the families. So we do, we do help the families and dependents as well. What about you, Nick? What do you find most uh, rewarding about the work that you do? Oh, it's the client contact. Um, most of our clients have made an enormous contribution to our country and, and often paid a high price. So it's really good to know that our knowledge and skills can make the difference between a really poor outcome from the department and a good outcome. I mean, the department aims to get good outcomes, but sometimes veterans actually need a lot of help to negotiate the civilian world because they're not being skilled to do that in their army experience. And it's just good knowing that we get results that make a difference. In the last eight months, apart from the continuing entitlements that we've won for veterans, we've won a little bit over $3 million in back pay. So often you'll get to an end of a case and know that there's a real benefit, a real material benefit that the veterans have got from our service. Mm -hmm. And it's often a step forward on their recovery in other ways. Now we're going to be talking more about the Veterans Advocacy Service and in particular, because these podcasts are targeted at community and health workers, what they need to know. So first of all, Danu, who is the service for? So we see current serving members, former serving members, and we also give some assistance to the families and dependents if necessary. We target most people with the greatest disadvantage within this um, community. And one point to make here, which is quite valid, is that members of the federal police on peacekeeping and other operations can also be covered as a military veterans. Do you think this is well known? I don't think is well known. Okay. I did. I have had some inquiries in past, and I had provided some assistance but it was basically yeah I've been doing this work for two and a half years and I've and I had one person only contacting me. I think amongst the federal police um, who've actually done operations it's better known but they're relatively small numbers. I've dealt with I think about three so it's not a major part of our work but it's a really critical access 
for those federal police because veterans legislation is beneficial legislation and they can often receive a better financial outcome by claiming under veterans law than under general workers' compensation law. And we're doing a bit of work at the moment trying to get the message out amongst some of the hospitals who deal with uh, psychiatric conditions to make people aware that when they're dealing with frontline workers, particularly federal police, they should just ask the question, have you served on an overseas peacekeeping operation? And then advise them that they should talk to us. Well, I guess this podcast will also be useful in uh, raising awareness amongst community and health workers that it's not just defence veterans, that police can also be eligible. Nick, I'm going to ask you now, when should people be referred to the Veterans Advocacy Service? Obviously, when they've had military service. Um, (laughs) But it can be just if they're not sure that they're getting everything, we can do a health check on their entitlements. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly, if they've got injuries that they have not claimed, we can assess whether there's merit in making a claim with the department or if they're having any troubles dealing with the Department of Veterans Affairs. Often, ex-military people are not very skilled in dealing with civilian bureaucracies. And so we'll provide a service where we assist them with the communications. Wherever there's any doubt, we're quite happy to speak to people and just check that they're getting everything they're entitled to. And that includes family members? Yes, and often people don't disclose that they're a family member or they're an ex-veteran, so it's a very good thing to ask. So what type of help does the Veterans Advocacy Service provide, Nick? We do a fairly comprehensive intake where we ask about their service, we ask about their injuries, we ask ask about their current circumstances. And it's quite complex law. There's three major acts that need to be checked and your entitlements are different depending on when and how you served. We'll check for potential entitlements and give advice on potential claims. Then if people need assistance to lodge those claims, we'll do that with them. We can then liaise with the department. We can assist them get evidence. If there's an adverse decision, we will certainly, uh, well, we review all decisions, but if it's an adverse decision or not the best outcome, we can put in requests for review, we can provide additional evidence, or we can help them through the appeals process. As we talk to clients, we do a law checkup as well Mm -hmm. to identify any other issues they might be having, any other legal issues they could be look at it and refer to our internal teams. For example, you know, if a client has got a debt with Centrelink or with, you know, Tomatas or any sort of other legal issue, we're able to identify that and just refer to internal teams. So we can kind of help not only in the veterans um, type of matter, but we can, you know, provide a holistic service and just refer to internal teams as well. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really good to hear. So, Dano, does um, the help that's provided by the Veterans Advocacy Service depend on the normal tests for getting help from legal aid? Most of our services are given without the means test, which means the financial test. In most circumstances, the veterans don't need to um, give us a contribution for the work that we do. However, for AAT matters or, or 
matters that go into higher courts, if the veteran has not had operational service, which means being overseas on operations, they do need to pay contribution, which will depend on the income and a lot of on the financial means of the client. For clients with operational service, they don't need to pay contribution to go to the IAT or higher courts. In addition to the to the means test, we do assess for merits, mm-hmm. which means that the client the that matter has to have good prospects of success, going to the Veterans Review Board or to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal or higher courts. So it has to have, uh, you know, some merits for us to to take on that case. For representation, the Veterans Review Board again, the means test, the financial test isn't applied. However, we do access for the prospects of success, and if aid is granted we can spend $500 and the client doesn't have to pay us their money back, which means we could use the $500 to pay for medical reports or anything that will assist us in that matter. We can spend up to $500 when we have taken on a case at the Veterans Review Board. The Veterans Review Board can also reimburse up to $1,000 for reports for each separate condition that is at issue. And where legal aid is not able to assist, there's other avenues of assistance through the ex-service organisation network, through RSL, the Defence Care, Homes for Heroes, and a a whole range of charities. Mm -hmm. So particularly when we can't assist, we're often looking to refer to another service that is able to assist. So, uh, Danu, how can community and health workers help to put people in touch with the Veterans Advocacy Service? So I think the easiest way um, to start is to ask your client whether they have served in Australian Defence Force. And as Nick said previously, clients don't often identify because they don't know the entitlements or the rights. So it's very important that you ask your clients. And once you you identify that they are or they have been, you could talk to them about our services, or you could refer your clients to us. You could give your client a brochure from our services, and they can get in touch with us directly as well. As I said, often people don't think that they have problems, or they don't think that the entitlements or the disability pension, for example, you know, they think that they on the highest level and they're doing well. But then when we assess the client, they actually earning much less than they could possibly um, with the conditions. So, for example, I just had a client that hasn't um, lodged a claim through DVA for the past 10 years. Uh, He had a lumbar spondylosis condition in which he, once we assessed and we lodged the claim, his level of pension increased from 40% to 60%, which is a substantial amount. So Mm -hmm. it's very important to identify which clients are coming through your door. Mm, Okay, thank you. And um, are there time limits on when a person can apply for veteran entitlements or ask for a a review of their existing entitlements? You can lodge a claim at any time. 
but there are time limits for appeals, and that's why it's important to get in touch with the Veterans Advocacy Service. We can guide you through that. Each case, obviously, is unique, and that's why it's important to refer your clients to us as soon as possible. But roughly, there is a time limit between 3 and 12 months. Uh, that's if you're going to appeal a decision made by the, the department? Either by the department or by the Veterans Review Board. The time limits, it's dependent on the type of appeal, whether it is assessment or disability pension or... or. Nick, did you want to say something about Yeah, I'd just add to that 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 there are a few circumstances um, in the more modern acts where the time limit is only 28 days. I think the underlying message is as early as possible. As soon as you've identified that there's an adverse decision, contact our service particularly in the more modern compensation matters, that's where the 28 days can sometimes apply. Also to maximise the back pay. So they can apply at any time, they can put in an application any time. The time limits really just relate to when they finally make a decision and if you're not happy with that, the review. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, thank you. I should say at this point that Legal Aid New South Wales has got a law checkup tool for community and health workers to help identify legal problems with their clients. And there is a section on the law checkup about with some questions to ask people uh, relating to defence veterans. So that's available on our website and we'll give a link to that on our notes page for the podcast. So Nick, I'm going to ask you now, how do people get in touch with the Veterans Advocacy Service? Our service is located in the central Sydney office, but we aim to service people all over the state. The easiest ways are to either phone us on 9219 5148 or just to email us at veterans at legalaid.nsw.gov.au. People who are in Sydney can just drop into our office at 323 Castle Ray Street, but it's usually best to phone first. Um, Most of our work is done over the phone and email. So people who live in regional and remote areas have got easy access to us. Um, We find that most people have emails, so even sending and receiving documents is pretty easy. We aim to make distance no barrier. So we, we will always pick up the cost of phone calls. We're regularly dealing with people that we never see face-to-face. And so some of the skills we bring are about our telephone skills and our ability to form relationships and get the information we need over the phone and over email. And I'm thinking that um, community and health workers can assist in that practical side of things, being able to help scan documents and uh, as attachments if the veterans don't have that sort of technology, just an email address. Yeah, often we're suggesting the local community centre (laughs) (laughs) who who have the IT technology. For some of the older veterans, that's an issue. But it's surprising how many older veterans have Gmail or Hotmail accounts themselves. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they have an email address. I was but just thinking. scanners yeah. are a little bit rarer. Yes, um, yeah. And we, we definitely value the help that the local community services, particularly in the smaller towns, are able to give mm. our veterans. And it really does help. And I'm thinking public libraries are probably a good place as well where you can access that technology. So... Um, I just wanted to check in to see if people make an appointment at their local Legal Aid New South Wales office to speak to one of the lawyers there, 
Can they raise their defence veteran issues in that context as well? Absolutely. All the regional officers have civil law solicitors and they can give initial advice, but we will act as an expert backup because, as Danu mentioned, it can be quite complex legislation and a complex array of entitlements and benefits. We're quite happy for, if people are more comfortable, go in, see your local solicitor at your local legal aid office and they can have carriage of the entire case and just use us for backup advice if they feel they need it. Okay, well that's good to know. And uh, I think, Danu, you mentioned earlier that we have um, about the Veterans Advocacy Service and community and health workers can order copies of those for free through our publications service and have those in their waiting rooms so people know that you exist. So, Danu, what courts, I mean, you've talked a little bit about the different courts, but can you just explain what are the courts or tribunals that assist with defence veterans matters? Sure, Carrie. So there are a few of them. So to start with, that's the Veterans Review Board, which is a venue that it's not as formal as a court. There's some sort of formality, but it's less scary, let's put that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the Administrative Appeals Tribunal reviews decisions from the Veterans Review Board. It's a little bit more formal, but it's not as formal as higher courts as well. Then the next level is the federal court and the high court, which it's very formal. And they all work differently from each other and they all have different rules and processes. And that's why it's wise for a client to talk to us because we do understand the processes and what it needs to be done, even though some of them, as I said, aren't as formal as others. Um, And then we can help your client. Obviously, it's not ideal, but some clients can self-represent at the Veterans Review Board, um, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, and so on. We don't advise on that, but if we can help, the least we can do is talk to the client and explain what the process for that particular venue that they are appealing to is as the stages of the process and what they need to do and give them tips on how to self-represent. So, Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit about how this process works from beginning to end? Well, first of all, you've got a decision that you disagree with. Um, The first step is actually to seek an internal review by an officer in the department who hasn't worked on your case before. If you're successful at that stage, that can be quite quick, but it's pretty reliant on you having some additional evidence to give. If a review officer reviews a file, it's fairly common that they just confirm the original decision. The first step of external appeal is the Veterans Review Board. The process there is that they manage the cases through a process called alternative dispute resolution. In that, you have either the veteran or their advocate has a conversation with the registrar of the board to discuss what the issues are, what new evidence might be available, what actions need to be taken to get a case properly prepared, and they negotiate around the timetable for proceeding to hearing. Sometimes, if your case is strong, 
they'll actually say, well, we don't need a hearing. We can just take this to a member and suggest what's called a decision on the papers. If a decision on the papers is offered, the veteran gets to say whether they accept it or not. If they accept it, it becomes a formal decision of the board and is referred back to the department for implementation. Otherwise, you proceed to a hearing of the Veterans Review Board. The hearings are generally informal. They're not in a courtroom setting, they're just in a normal office setting. Uh, we particularly like the veteran to be there if possible. Often, particularly for remote and regional people, that's not possible, but the board will interview you over the phone. So you can hear everything that's said in the hearing and you can give evidence. It's really impactful on the board to hear the story from the veteran themselves. If the VRB makes a decision in your favour, that again gets referred to the department for implementation. Technically, they have a right of appeal to take it to the AAT, but that is rarely used. All right. So you find you have good success in the review board? Yes, we do. The review board stats are fairly impressive. They take well over 2,000 new cases a year. Of that, about 85% are represented by an advocate either from our service or from one of the ex-service organisations. And they reach a new decision in favour of the veteran in just over 50% of the matters. The level of appeal to the AAT is very small, which is an indication that the decisions the review board make are well considered, well founded in law, and even when the veteran gets a knockback, often the reasons that are given are quite comprehensive and are accepted by the veteran. So, Danu, just thinking about the matters that you assist with, what sort of time frame do these cases generally take? Like, how long does it take from beginning to end? It depends on a number of factors. For example, on the viability of our client to speak to us, especially in remote locations. Sometimes you can't reach the client as often as you would with someone that lives within the Sydney kind of area. It depends on the, how long it will take to get further evidence to provide to the board. Booking appoint, medical appointments, it, could, it can take time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, requesting medical reports. And here I'll give an example, which may, I might just write a letter to, to the client's medical practitioner. By the time that the letter reaches the, the doctor, the client is able to book an appointment, see the particular doctor, the doctor write a report back to us. That might take some time. It depends on, you know, on the full military file. And we often do a freedom of information on our clients' files, military file, and that could take something up to eight weeks to receive from our request. So it just depends, but roughly for primary claims, something between seven to 11 months, through the VRB appeal, six to 12 months, AAT and higher courts, anything between seven and 18 months. Again, this is just an estimate. It depends on case by case and a lot of factors. And I guess uh, like the person who was in our case study at the beginning, they might be in rehabilitation as well. So getting access to them might depend on progress with their health needs as well. Yes, um, 
If you add up all the times that Dano just put, so you've lodged a claim, let's say it takes the longer time and it's 11 months for the DVA to make a decision you don't agree with, you've then got to have the patience for 6 to 12 months at the VRB and if in a small number of cases it goes to the AAT, you're looking at two to three years, that can be quite stressful on veterans, so we're often looking to support them through that period of exercising patience. But if they've got serious injuries, their focus is often on their physical and mental health as the first priority, as it should be. So we have to take that kind of thing into account when we're asking them to see doctors just for reports and things like that. Close liaison with the people who are already engaged in their medical support is critical. And it sounded like in the case study that sometimes you can access some additional funds to help with their recovery or their health needs while you're working through this? Yes, particularly in the areas where the department acknowledges their non-liability health care, and that is primarily any mental health condition. So the department won't wait to decide whether it's a defence-related injury or not. They will just assist with payment for medical treatment, um, which is one of the sort of generous and beneficial elements of veterans' legislation. So people can immediately get access through their white card, which allows them... It's kind of like a Medicare card for veterans, and it means the DVA will pick up all reasonable costs for health treatment, but also for transport to and from appointments. Uh, You can access the DVA transport system and also get reimbursement for some of the medicine costs, particularly when they're not covered by the PBS. Wow, that is generous. And so do you also help people access other legal and social supports if you, as Danu said, um, do a legal health check and can see that they need additional supports? Yes, the... People don't always come with just a legal issue and certainly veterans can have extensive other needs and their families. So one of the things we do is we do assess those things and as Danu said, we can refer to the other legal aid services in family, consumer, debt, social security, housing and NDIS law. But we're also interested in the welfare needs of our clients and there are a myriad of charities and groups that are particularly interested in addressing those needs for veterans. Everything from the RSL and Legacy, which have been around for over a century, to newer ones like Soldiers On and Home for Heroes uh, and many others that are arising to address the needs of veterans. In this, I'd also mention there are a lot of groups that are for veterans of particular actions. So there's the Vietnam Veterans Association, there's the Gulf War Veterans Association, and often the units that people serve in also continue after discharge to meet and to have a welfare response. So you encourage people to engage with those Um, those services? As much as possible, yes, to connect to those other services because veterans' needs are special, they're they're unique and we find that while the general charities are fantastic, it's, it's 
veterans talking to other veterans, there's a level of understanding that is really supportive of veterans and there's a level of understanding on how to deliver services to veterans. And I'm just thinking about community and health workers, general ones that, that aren't involved in those associations. Could they ring your service to get a sense of who might be the best service to refer their client to if they were worried? Yes, of course. We, we can assist with referrals. But I'd also like to refer people to the Mental Health Professionals Network on the web, they have a series of webinars and resources, particularly around the needs of veterans and understanding military culture, and they're a terrific resource. We've talked about a lot of different services and uh, we'll definitely make sure that all of those uh, links are on the homepage. Okay, so I think we're coming towards the end of our podcast. So finally, as you know, Danu and Nick, this podcast is for community and health workers. So I'd like you to both tell us what would be your two or three key messages you'd like to leave with them, Danu? My messages are that we can work in collaboration with you and we are very keen to do that. So get in touch with us so we can discuss on how we can work together and do things in pro to the clients. Remember that distance should not be a barrier to access to justice. We can go to your area if you have a number of clients that you've identified that need help. We can travel within New South Wales. We can visit your services as well if you want to know more about this area of law and and if you want to be trained in this area as well on how you can assist your clients better. You know, as I said previously, the laws are complex. There's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of details within this area that um, it's always good to speak to someone. So we are here for you. Anytime you have a question, please get in touch. And by all means, if you don't know what to do, refer your clients to us. We're very happy to take them on board. We can also provide community legal education. And we can come to your area, have a talk to clients and to your workers and medical professionals as well. Just get in touch with us if you want to know more about it. Excellent. Thank you. What about you, Nick? Uh, probably be aware veterans and their families often don't self-identify. So you need to ask. It's very simple. Just ask if it's a child. Ask, has your mum and dad ever served in the military? If it's a, a person over about 20 years, ask them, have they ever served in the military? And if the answer is yes, then I think you've flagged potential issue to refer them to us. We hope that our dedication and specialisation in this area is a valuable resource for you. And we'll work with you, whether it's either by taking a referral or just providing backup information to you in your relationship with your client. So thanks very much for sharing all this information about your valuable and unique service with us today, Danu and Nick. Thanks, Kerry. Thank you for having us here. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to share it with your colleagues and let us know if there's a topic that you would like us to do an episode on. We'd love to hear from you. Our contact details are in the episode notes below. Until next time, thanks so much from all of us here at the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.